Don Chez Bonjour. Hello. Welcome to Educate the Earth's Research Time, Season 1, Episode 12. This episode is going to look a little different. It's going to be a little different, and it's going to be completely me. <laughs> and I'm actually really excited to, to do this particular episode because this is not only for, for a school project, but it's also because it's important for me to also relationally look towards my supervisors and the works that they have done in order for them to be exactly where they are uh, on, at the University of Ottawa, being professors, being leaders, being, being guiders, being these wonderful individuals who have done nothing but support and care for community in various ways um, and their communities respect respectedly as well. So it's very wonderful, honorable, appreciative, <laughs> thankful <laughs> for me to be doing this. Um, it's also my place to, to give my offering of gratitude and appreciation uh, to them and the works that they're doing. And they are who I look up to in regards to my research journey as well. So I feel very lucky, very privileged, um, very appreciative of the Machip woman to be guided by both uh, both individuals who care for First Nations, Métis folks, um, and also Inuit folks too, of course, in, in various ways within their work with reconciliation, within their work of poetry, within their work of storytelling, within their work of oral histories, historical consciousness how we can be better citizens in Canada, uh, respectively as well. Um, but what does that actually mean too? Um, what does it mean to be a citizen in Canada? What does that mean for our ethic of relationality? What does that mean for our ability to work together um, to actually get to a place of reconciliation? Because truth, truth must always happen first. So that's what I appreciate. I think most about my supervisors is their ability to both be brutally honest within their works, uh, within their honest sharing of their life experiences and being able to do so in ways that are there to support others, not for their own journeys, of course, but also others in a way for them to also dis, you know, discern what they're also going through and also um unpack how they can also contribute to the communities and communities in general and in their relational ways that they so choose as well so for me what this means too is how can i you know how can i share my journey of reconciliation truth reconciliation in ways that are connective to my family my family's history as well what does that mean for me to be an educator be a public educator be a researcher you know they, these are many hats that I hold a lot of responsibilities I hold it's like a bundle so how do I move with this bundle in good ways and caring ways uh, that impact change onto others if they so choose to also be a part of this change as well because that's completely up to a person to decide so yeah that's 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 very much a part of what's going on here today um, but a part of me also giving gratitude, giving thanks, not only for my supervisors, but also for the land that I'm currently situated upon. Um, I'm currently on Treaty 7 territory of the Nisitepi of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which belongs to Siksika, Gaina, Bagani, Sitena, Yehinokura nations. And also part of the historical 
Northwest Métis homeland. And, and this homeland is where I also belong to, but I still recognize the fact that I'm also a visitor on these territories on this land here because my relational place, my home space, my homeland is Treaty 1 territory um, where the Red River Métis live. And, and that is where my family still currently lives and resides to this day, being in St. Laurent, Manitoba, Duck Bay, Manitoba, and also Winnipeg, Manitoba, where my where my brother and my mom and my everyone's basically there. And I miss them and I miss them dearly. So, you know, what does this also mean for my space and my place in relation to where I'm currently located to? How can I make a difference on Treaty 7 territory? How can I make a difference still relationally to unceded Algonquin territory being Ottawa, Ontario, where my institution uh, of the University of Ottawa resides, where it also is there and how do they also honor and respect their relationships with the Algonquin peoples of located in this area too. So there's a lot <laughs> to think about. And I think this piece of awareness is really important. This piece of relationality is really important. And I, I would encourage others who are listening today to, to really go on this journey to think about relationally where you're located, who you are, your positionality, and also how you plan to contribute, to support, to uplift, to, to raise awareness, to action your work in regards to truth and reconciliation, but further within your own positionality, considering your privileges, um, your, your ethnicities, um, your, you know, just things that are already there for you to go through and to understand further about your journey and seeing if it can coincide and connect with the journeys of others and then how you can work together in, in respectful and relational ways in this way. So yeah, that's always, that's that's gonna take time though. That's, that's not something that's gonna happen overnight. <laughs> no one should be expecting that to happen overnight. I'd be concerned if it did. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think that's my my place to begin this this journey. So of course today, um, I'm going to be talking about Dr. Nicholas Nigafuk and Dr. Carrie Lynn Chichu uh, and their, their works uh, in regards to uh, what they have explored within their own uh, research journeys and further how the two works that I've decided from each really carries into the work I, I hope to pursue that I am pursuing um in 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 caring and compassionate ways i hope so it's definitely a place of again appreciation <laughs> to be able to do this and, and i hope that carrie and nick if you're listening please take this in a good way because <laughs> there's going to be things that like i'm very excited to think about and to maybe unpack a little bit um in this way and please correct me if i'm wrong also too like this is just my simply my interpretation from the works of which i have read from from yourselves and I'm excited to do so. And please know that it's always with the, the best intention of my heart, um, but also the things that you have recognized and paid attention to and to share, it's again with complete honesty and relationality. So I hope that the interpretations I've gathered from your works are also in a way for me that also responds to my own um, truth and my own um, aspects of, of um, community care and practice, I think, and also discernment to within my own privileges as well being a white midshift woman. Um, I think that's also really important to, to acknowledge as well. So let's get to it.
Um, so today, I hope to talk about relationality of curriculum and reconciliation, supervision under Carrie Chichu and Nicholas Nigapuk. Uh, and I think I'm going to start with Nick. <laughs> You're first, Nick. All right. So the particular article I chose to really talk about today in regards to your work is a curriculum of mother-son plots on education center stage. And you did this work in 2005. To give context as well at this time period, I think this was the first time I I, I went to Disneyland and I was nine years old. Like I, I'm just gonna simply share my age right now so that it gives a little bit of like an understanding of how generationally and further with time and how time impacts us in, in beautiful ways, in healing ways. And your work, Nick, um, this, this piece really, spoke to me on many levels. Um, the honesty that you went through with using the courier method to talk about your relationship with your, your own mother, but also what your mother has experienced in various ways. It, it provides a stepping stone onto how researchers can envision how life stories, life, life experiences are lived and how this then turns into curriculum, being educational, foundational, centered on learning and understanding, seeking to understand before to be understood. I always, I, my mom and I always say that to each other too. And that's something that is inherent within this work, which is seeking to understand in order for us to be able to learn to then move forward in impacting ways. You discuss the patriarchy, you discuss the nuclear family dynamics, you discussed how there was a lot of, of just truth it was just so filled of truth <laughs> i don't think that there's any other way to explain it it was so raw yet it was so connected to the work of pinar like of, of william f pinar it was connected to the work of uh Grumet because you you looked at the the um the the process here of 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 courier but then also the oh right yes it was through the mother and son plots of distancing devaluing dependency and blaming and you connected these four places of how distancing devaluing dependency and blaming are inherent within the educational practices that are ongoing to even this day i know you wrote this in 2005 still carries on to 2022 like this is still happening even right now where we get to see these uh as institutions these colonial institutions who are still blaming who are still dependent who are still distancing and devaluing others works or or people's themselves if they're racialized and non what like non-white so that's why it's a really important piece to look towards 
in regards to how we are individually as researchers, again, the positionalities we hold, who we are, and then bringing that into the work that we do. And then in turn, if we're feeling devalued, if we're feeling um, like, like others in a strange still way still depend on us, like it's just, it's such a weird dynamic to be in. It's almost like a toxic dynamic to be in. And further in regards to blaming too, blaming the last generation, blaming the last generation. Oh, it was that generation. Oh, it was that generation. That's not going to help anything. That's not going to find any solutions. It's not going to provide any kind of healing to, to instill. But rather what we should be doing is being accountable because that's not blame. Accountability is not blame. It is simply the ability to recognize and have the humility to recognize, might I say, to be able to go through a place of understanding who we are as individuals, knowing the mistakes we've made, but how are we going to grow? How are we going to do better? And that always takes actions, 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 actions. So that's, I think, the key learning piece that I learned with the near piece, Nick. It was very um, moving to read and it was beautiful to see how honest you were and seeing the you know even the father that you are today always being there for your sons and that's just beautiful to me so i just wanted to offer my gratitude um and thankfulness for for you even writing this piece when i was nine years old <laughs> and now seeing you know and seeing like the person that you are how 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 beautiful and impacting is that it's just uh, almost chill worthy it's just uh it's just beautiful Perfect. And Carrie, for, for your work, I decided to unpack uh, reframing reconciliation, uh, turning our back or turning, turning our back or turning back. And you, you wrote this for Sheila uh, Cope Meek's work um, for decolonizing and indigenizing education in Canada. Um, this work was quite, again, moving. Um, because I actually witnessed this within my own experience with another professor who was uh, First Nations and uh, Anishinaabe. And she's still one of my favorite professors even to this day. And within that class that I was participated in, it was called Aboriginal Perspectives in Education. I took it in my third year. And this educator to me did phenomenal. Like we, we unpacked uh, Marie Baptiste's Decolonizing Education book that, that was written in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And within this course, we sat in a circle and we were unpacking what Marie Baptiste was writing every single week. Like it, it was a very sharing relational way. But then when it came to the assignments, there is a lot of my peers, again, mind you, I'm located in Alberta, like this is, I think it's pretty comparable to, to other institutions where predominantly the students in the class are going to be white settlers. This is fine. This is this, you know, it is what it is. But at the same time, too, there needs to be more, again, racialized non non white students in class, especially becoming teachers and educators and change makers. Um, that space should always be always be filled with with folks 
Um, but anywho, that's that's besides the point. But 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 it still is related. I, I will I will note that. Um, but within my class, I remember my classmates being so upset by the marks that they were receiving because they were lower than an A. They, I think it's pretty interesting of how everyone just thought that they'd get the pass, the easy pass, the A pass for for doing things that weren't relational. And I think that's what that, that's what this educator, this professor was trying to do was make things relational, make things meaningful, make things where you're disrupting your own positionality. And if you're not doing that, you're missing the point. And so a lot of my classmates, they actually complained to the chair of the program. And I was upset by that because I'm like, what gives you the right to do that? What gives you the right to, to complain to the chair of the program because you're unhappy with a mark that you received? Like that's, uh, that to me is just like, at the tone of privilege and it just really it really 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 upset me so i stood alongside this professor like it it was it was it was actually difficult to to watch and such too and i was frustrated i was frustrated with my classmates i was frustrated with the system and you know the this professor as well like she was also frustrated too. She 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 was the one who who deserved to be the most frustrated, I think, in this situation. And it was such a learning experience, I think, for me even too. And and related to your work, and this is where the circle back comes from, is that when it's so interesting, and it's like, where is that balance? Where is that happy place to share difficult? conversations to hold these difficult conversations but in a space and place where people feel like that they're not being blamed feeling guilt feeling shame feeling upset and that's the thing with truth and reconciliation is that all these feelings are okay to feel like all of these emotions are okay to feel it's a part of your journey it's a part of the healing process it's a part of understanding the settler colonial state of canada like it's it's okay so to recognize how you then went through your own ability to reshape the course and then how it shifted as a place of ethical relationality and i always i always appreciated that reading that carrie because it showed such such a spirit of care i think and what does it actually mean to have a space of ethical relationality rather than a safe space and i i also appreciated your speech too when when uh we we were able to sit with the uh, education uh, students of color and their fall institute and the 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 keynote you provided even that day too what is a safe space like who is it safe for right and it's always for the kids and the students and the adults who are white and that doesn't mean that you're allowed to speak uh hate speech that doesn't mean you're able to be discriminatory or prejudiced or homophobic like that's that's not it like that's not what the world is of what we're trying to do within the work of reconciliation. Our work is to 
provide a space of, of actual respect and it's understanding that everyone's going to have a different story, different experience, different life in general. But how do we coexist in a way that's not to belittle one another, but rather support each other and just listen, like just listen to each other. And I think that's what's most important is this piece of listening, listening again, listening to understand before to be understood. It's such a easy statement to say, but in practice, it's so difficult sometimes <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard. But reading your work, Carrie, reading the poetry that you also shared too, to highlight the experiences, to highlight the emotionalities, to highlight the actual reverence of what you've experienced and further what your family has experienced generationally too and how how you are the way that you are and being the the lack of better word badass that you are too it's just phenomenal to to learn from you and to be in the presence of you and honestly it's it's really cool it's really amazing of the work that you're doing um and and just know like it's it's something that a lot of professors I think have experienced as well I think across Canada so um you know we're learning inside Nick's course it's funny how everything's always connected but anyways um there is this book called the equity myth that we're currently unpacking and it's talking a lot about uh you know indigenous perspectives I'm going to say indigenous globally um in that way because I'm sure there's indigenous um professors who are also working here in Canada and a lot of their experiences too are also shared and shed light upon in in truthful ways where it unpacks their experiences of discrimination and of um, of racism and systemic racism as at that as well so it's it's it yeah it is equity a mess mm, still trying to figure it out <laughs> But um, again, merci, merci, Nguetch, uh, for, for your sharings. So I thought to tie everyone's work together um, in this relational way was that both Nick and Carrie, you were both a part of this, uh, this wonderful work, actually. And it was called uh indigenizing ivory towers poetic inquiry metissage and reconciliation um the scene the brackets there so we get to say action and you did this work alongside uh kira brandt um uh, trisha mcguire adams and julie uh vaudrin uh charrette and I really appreciated this work because Nick, you shared this work with me um, within uh, the course that I'm currently taking with you with the uh, contemporary issues in education. And I talked about the ivory towers and I actually compared them to uh, the the White Walkers, <laughs> like the wall in Game of Thrones. <laughs> that was my initial initial um you know looking towards it and that's because like i'm actually very visual and i think about imagery a lot and i th i thought about the wall and i thought about the ivory towers are like the wall keeping you know the wildlings out at that time but then also the white walkers so i thought you know i i think about that i think about who gets to choose who keeps who out and how that's not okay 
especially when these spaces and places are here for and ought to be here for everyone and then i think too to take it even further back like further 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 back into ancient greece <laughs> where the first university uh kind of educational institution happened and it was with plato it was with socrates um it was with the the academy at that point too and how plato was learning from socrates and and then established the academy and it was all for men it was all for these privileged men and and no woman had the ability to really speak philosophically or educationally in these ways even though there's women who probably did um at this point too so it's it's very when we look towards understanding like that's where the first place of education started western western wise um and so then seeing the structure of it even that is is patriarchal and and kind of carries over into the westernized educational system that we see today so i think that's always important too is understanding the root understanding where things come from why they come from and comparing it to you know what we want to see as changed or what was even for our own communities too learning from elders learning from knowledge keepers learning from our mothers fathers from the land connecting with the land like that's what happened with my family too in St. Laurent as well um prior prior to you know colonization within our community where you know yeah my family were like hunters and gatherers they they did a lot prior to HBC and even when even when that happened as well like that was where their livelihood then really was foundational in that way um i think about that too i think about that too sometimes as well but i digress but anywho i think so yeah in relation to your works <laughs> for me i freaked out i always do this it's fine though it's a lot of fun um in in regards to your works too and digitizing ivory towers poetic and creamy sage and reconciliation um there is another point that i actually wanted to make with meti sage but i think that'll be the last point of of the podcast today but i'm going to go into what what you're both shared within this work and it's talking about again your lived experiences but in ways that are connective to what what is decolonization like what does that actually mean um and indigenization and further what that means as a settler and also as an as a first nations person so like what how how do we go through this in a way that's relational where you're not only that yourself contributed to this work but many others also contributed the, to this work who are also um first nations and then also non-indigenous so i think that there's a lot of beauty in the fact that this work even happened where it was a decentralization of of like a one particular perspective but many perspectives coming in together weaving together and that's where the metis sage comes in always so that to me is gorgeous that's beautiful it's powerful it's it's decolonial in of itself because the way that you all went through this work where it was centered in storytelling it was centered in poetry it was centered in art it was just art Mwah, i love it <laughs> she's gorgeous <laughs> but what was very key for me to to understand and to unpack this work from the both of your perspectives was the fact that you both centered in the space of relationality even still even still you both centered your your pieces within relationality and care and understanding and unpacking and truth 
And to me, again, as always, that is something that I want to see myself as within a writing stance, within a critical stance, within my comprehension exams. I still want to put in that place of me, my truth, my identity in a way that still emotes and can offer perspective change or even to even get folks to think about their own processes, their own identities, their own positionalities, their own experiences in different ways. And I think that's what's truly beautiful and powerful about research, especially reconciliation-based research, where, and also art, artistic research, like narrative inquiry, and then also with poetry. It's just, what a beautiful, beautiful space because it, there really is a, a, an ability for you to epistemologically go through, go through a work and make it relational to yourself, but also to see it as a space for other folks to look at towards critically as well, like critical race theory, for example. Like, it's almost like everything that we do is critical race theory, just in of itself of being who we are. So it's, it's, I don't know. I'm just feeling very appreciative. <laughs> I think I've said that so many times this podcast, but it's like, there's so much opportunity. There's so much power. There's so much passion. There's so much ability, I think, with the work that we're doing and how we can do it to support educational change. And education is medicine. I've always thought that. I've been told that it's, it's what guides us forward. I've also been told that education is our new Buffalo and due to the Buffalo, how it survived as long as it has, even going through the adverse and horrible um, experiences due to, due to colonization and due to settlers coming onto these lands and, and taking our Buffalo for, for their own. It's, it's beautiful to see Buffalo still thrive even to this day. And we do too, as indigenous peoples globally, we are still thriving and we're still surviving. We are still here. So to me, that's also powerful. And that's that's quite, that honestly is what inspires me to do the work that I'm also doing to this day too, not only for my family, but also for, for our kids. And it's our gifts. It's our gifts that will always move us forward. And to do so is to help them gather the tools, their own bundles, so that they can also do so in good ways as well. Um, to be good citizens, to be good, people, human beings, good treaty people, caring about one another, knowing their actions have consequences, knowing that mistakes are okay to make, but as long as you truly learn from them and understand them. And sometimes not making the same mistake twice is really important too, especially if it is causing harm onto someone else. So I think to me, that's also the beauty of the methodology of like Métissage. And it's, it's actually really interesting because the term Métissage actually comes from two ethnic groups, two, two groups coming together and then uniting. And that's actually why, why the Métis flag stands as it does too, with the two circles coming together that represents the two groups coming together, being non-Indigenous and uh, First Nations coming and building a culture together in that way. So. You know, it's 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 quite powerful of, of, of what Métis Sash can actually offer as well, where I also too envision it as the Métis Sash itself. And I think about the weaves, I think about the colors of of 
of the of the Métis sash as well and the different sashes that there are to every community and actually family also has their own I know with my family being Bruce um we connect a lot to the color green which is great because I look really good in green <laughs> joking um <laughs> but but it's the color green that really is beautiful to me because I also relate that to again children nurturement growth and care and and holistic care at that so how how beautiful right how beautiful is this and I I think again about the opportunities of what can be afforded through the Métis Sash process through the Métis Sash process as what is seen within the work that you both did in this way how gorgeous meaningful and moving is this so I think there's particular questions that were asked through this through this assignment that I feel like that I connected to in in different ways. And I think when it comes to epistemological understandings, I feel like that's very personal per researcher. I you know, I feel like even as in the chief researcher too, my epistemology would technically be like <laughs> midship perspectives <laughs> like yeah it can be influenced by you know feminist theory by critical race theory by um post-modernism post-structuralism like these are things that i think are already ingrained because everything is inherently connected oh ecology too sorry i really love ecology but <laughs> all of these notions are already all connected with each other when we actually have the perspective of self so that's why i really do appreciate how indigenous worldviews is an epistemology in of itself but i think it's really important to be very specific though with that to being midship worldviews and being relational being thoughtful with community um being guided by the seven grandfather teachings being guided by the color green even with with my metis sash like it's uh, it's just oh i love this stuff i love research <laughs> this is really it's just powerful it's just beautiful it's it's there's so much to this work i think that i think we forget when we're doing the work all the time we forget how cool it actually is to be a part of these processes um so it's actually really nice to just reflect even orally uh to to gather these senses these feelings even these emotions as well um because sometimes writing like it, it can definitely emote how we're feeling but i feel like with these kinds of conversations even verbally like this even orally like this you get to actually hear what a beautiful sense of hearing but you get to hear the experience as it stands as well and i think that's very powerful and impactful too And then there's something that came from yeah your question Nick too in regards to this assignment as future educational researchers administrators teachers graduate students and or a wider public what can we learn from your work and even with Carrie's work I think we can learn that truth will always be such a foundational process understanding journey experience 
And when we're able to share our truths, our family truths, our experiential truths, our understanding of life, our understanding of self, how how impactful is that? Like how truly, truly, truly meaningful is that? Where it can be anything that any researcher ought to be doing first and foremost is to actually understand their relational self and understand what kind of researcher that they want to be ethically what kind of researcher that they want to become inside this world and know that if you're always working towards a goal being you know education being reconciliation based education being being uh, truth telling oral 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 history sharing in respectful ways too like what does this all mean and being conscious even even of self like I think these are really key factors that come from both of your works and how relational it can be and ought to be as well for researchers. Again, as long as researchers are wanting to do this work themselves rather than just always go towards uh, studies and studies and studies, being quantitative, being scientific, being <laughs> mathematical. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, but what is that discernment of self though, of why, you know, folks are going to the field of research? Why, 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 why are you doing this? What gives you this passion? What makes you feel like this is the right track for you, but further, how are you going to care when you are conducting studies and caring about your participants, caring about the work? How is it going to relate back to the community that you're researching? How is it going to impact the people that are presented inside the study? How are you ensuring that their selves are also cared for too? Um, ensuring that you're being trauma-informed, for example. Like there's, there's multiple things I think also that come from your works that also center when you are doing autobiographical works like the like these for example like how are you taking care of yourself you know how are you thinking about when 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 these works are being written how how are you caring for your holistic being because it can be difficult you know reflecting in these ways in ways that can potentially be traumatic or again because you know it's just the truth of it all and it's okay that's life but how do we grow how do we learn more and how do we be okay with the fact that okay this is this is now going to be shared with the public how am I then going to care about you know my, myself you know in these ways and how am I going to heal how am I going to nurture my spirit and I think these are a part of the conversations that should be happening more widely I think as well um, I don't think it's just like mental health. I think about holistic health. I don't really like saying mental health because it's like so much more because like when one quadrant's out of balance, like the whole thing's a mess. You're, you're just out of balance. <laughs> That's what I was taught. So it's like, how do we care again about our holistic self? Because you're still meeting the mental and the emotional and, and the physical, but then also the spiritual too, where each of them need to be cared for um, within the works that we're also doing here too. So just things, just mustering's of course, in these ways, but I've always been an advocate to, to care for your holistic being. And that's why I think these kinds of conversations, these true life writings, like even with Bell Hooks's work, reading her experiences to truth with, um, truth with very, difficult experiences that risen 
that rose through her work. Um, how did she care for herself? Like, how did she like manage all these emotions even after her works have been published too for public consumption? Because I feel like that there could be a lot of pressure on your shoulders, a lot of pressure in general. And that's a lot of honesty being thrown to, to the world as well. So how are you taking care of yourself? And how are you also allowing others to take care of you too? And, and I think that's also something that can be talked about further um where you're actually accepting help <laughs> and accepting support accepting and appreciating help from others too because it does take a community it always will it always every single day it always will especially in regards to education too it will always take a community it will always take everyone to be a part of the solution so that's the same with holistic health that's the same with with your own journeys as well uh going to the place and space of ensuring that you're open and, and allowing for the openness to, to, to be there for each and every single one of you of, of, of listeners listening here too. So yeah, you, you folks have really impacted me in beautiful ways. And I'm so very grateful and thankful to be learning from the both of you. I'm very appreciative for this assignment, for it to be in a verbal oral podcast form because I don't think that being able to write this particular assignment would have done it justice just for how impactful you both have been for my academic journey thus far. And I'm so excited to continue to learn from the both of you, Carrie and Nick, upon this educational journey and just merci, chi miigwech. And um, thank you, just thank you. Uh, so thanks for listening to this episode of Educate the Earth's Research Time. Uh, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Educate the Earth and on Twitter at Educate the Earth. And wishing you all a really great day. Bye.